Good evening to each one. Again, greetings in the name of Jesus. It's good to be with you again. Your comments there, Dwight, about being at a smorgasbord for three days made me wonder if it gets a little bit like that with these meetings too. After about the second day, I wouldn't be too hungry anymore. And I think there is an aspect in these meetings too where we we have to be diligent to focus because we feel like we're full. There's no more room to take more in. So I trust that God's Spirit will again speak to you this evening. Thank you for being here. I know it takes effort to come day after day, and I'm grateful for your presence. This evening's message is actually a difficult message to preach. Those of you who are ordained will understand what I mean as we get into this further. It's probably also going to be an uncomfortable message for you to hear. It's just the way it is. But I know without a question in my mind that it's a message that God has called me to preach. And I believe it's a message that is clearly biblical. In fact, it's a vitally important message, so much so that we find it consistently throughout the Scriptures. It was a concern of Paul's as he wrote the Scriptures. I'd like to begin, though, before I tell you what the message is about this evening, in Isaiah chapter 6, and I'd like to give you a backdrop here for the message. Isaiah chapter 6, starting at verse 1. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died... I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphim. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face. With twain he covered his feet. And with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. I just want to stop there this evening, and I want you to try in your mind's eye again to capture a little perspective of God. Last evening I asked you for attributes of God, and I believe the first one that came up was that God is holy. And if I had to choose one word to describe God, that's the word I would choose. I know that doesn't fully capture all about God, but it's a very important word. In fact, I find it inspiring that here in verse 3 we see this chorus of holy, holy, holy is the Lord. That, that's the chorus in heaven when Isaiah sees into the throne room. About 800 years later when John, the apostle, saw into the throne room. Do you know what he saw? you know what he heard? Exact same message. Holy, holy, holy. We know in between it was still holy, 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 and ever since to today it's still holy, holy, holy. And I don't know all the reasons about that, but I do know this, that if we saw God, as Isaiah says here, I saw the Lord, if we saw him, that would be the first word that would come to our mind. 
And maybe it wouldn't be enough to have it come to our mind once. And that's why we have it again and again and again. It also grips me as I look at verse 2 and I see this imagery that he sees here. He sees these seraphim or these angels. And he notices that they have six wings. Now, things that have wings use those wings to fly, right? That seems like the main purpose of wings. But these creatures have six wings and the first thing he mentions that they did with the wings is not fly, but to cover their faces. I don't know if you've ever thought of it, but the reason I believe that these angels are covering their faces is because even though they are perfect creatures, they are created and they are separated from God's holiness so much so that they are covering their faces in respect for His holiness. They're on their side of those wings. It's not nearly as holy as it is on the other side of those wings. That's why they cover their faces and why they cover their feet. And with their last set of wings, then they fly. Brothers and sisters, tonight, God is holy. Holy. Do we understand what holy is? We talk about things being pure. We sang about pure in heart, O oh God. Perfect, beautiful song for this evening. We talk about things being pure white. And we put something else whiter beside it and we realize it wasn't that pure white. We talk about pure gold. And I find it fascinating that our gold in this world is yellow when it's pure. In heaven, when it's pure, it's transparent. Did you, did you ever notice that? I, do we know what's pure? We talk about pure water. There's still contaminants in pure water. And we, we have pure, but we don't really understand pure. We strive to be holy because the Bible tells us to be holy, for I am holy. It tells us that we need to follow peace and with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. But no matter how holy you are tonight, there is much to do in the work of being holy. So God is holy. And may you continue to have that picture, that mental image in your mind this evening. This holy God, a long time ago in history, at least to us a long time ago, created a world. In that world, he created a garden. And after he created land and seas and the heavens and the stars and the moon and the sun and so on, then he created animals and all their diversity. Then he created man in his image. And he created male and female, the Bible tells us. He created man incomplete in himself, and then he created a, a help a sufficient or meat for the man. And he brought together Adam and Eve, and he performed the very first marriage. He created this beautiful institution of marriage. In marriage, companionship, emotional intimacy, oneness, friend, co-worker to share life with. The Bible talks about being heirs together of the grace or the wonder of life. In marriage, he created physical intimacy as a means of procreation and pleasure. All perfect and pure in what God created. 
But then, as is always the case with everything that God does, the devil corrupts. And after man fell, we don't have to read far, and we find that into this beautiful marriage, intimate relationship that God had created came sin. And the devil corrupted this area. In fact, this beautiful God-created desire for physical intimacy is probably today one of the most common areas of sin in our day. Perversion in that area has been a problem all throughout human history, but I can't imagine a society more corrupt than ours in the area of sexuality. Is there an area of more sin? No matter how bad it is today in our world, it will get worse as the Lord tarries. There are things happening today that I couldn't have imagined even 20 years ago. And the terrible reality and the reason that I have a burden this evening for this message is it's not just out there in the world. This corruption has has crept, sorry, right into our churches, into our circles. Brings me to the title of tonight's message. Very simply, flee sexual sin. And I want to tell you right from the beginning tonight, this is not only a message for youth. Sometimes we quickly, as older people, think young people need this message. Well, it's true, young people need this message, but it's not just a message for youth. And it's not only a message for men. More than ever in my lifetime, lots of women are falling into deep sin in this area as well. No one is exempt. I remember a number of years ago, after I had preached a message, I had raised a question to all of them to share with me, what is the biggest struggle in their their life? And an older brother came up to me after the service. He was probably in his 70s. And he said, my number one struggle? Purity in my thoughts. And I was thinking to myself, you're 70 years old, really? Still when you're 70? Surely we outgrow this at some point in our life. I remember sitting with a 90-year-old man in a coffee shop in a community where I had meetings. And he was describing his struggle with purity in his life. We never outgrow this, brothers and sisters. As long as we are in the flesh, it is a real battle. Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. First Corinthians chapter 6. Beginning to read at verse 15. Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of a harlot? God forbid. What? Know you not that he which is joined to a harlot is one body? For two, saith he, shall be one flesh. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Flee 
fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Let me just start in verse 18. It says there, flee fornication. Fornication in our minds most likely has a more narrow definition than what it meant here. When we talk about fornication today, we often are talking about a sexual act outside of marriage. It's broader than that. All immorality, all sexual sin is fornication. That's what it's describing here. And it's saying not to fight it, but to flee it. And I believe that's an important key in understanding how we overcome this sin. Then I want to go to verse 20 and I want to work backwards and notice a few things here. There would be a lot in these verses. But I just want to notice, first of all, that we are bought with a price. And you know this. You know that the precious blood of Jesus was shed on Calvary's cross so that you can be free of the sins that you were caught up in. You were purchased with the very Son of God from heaven so that you could be free. That price is beyond what we can comprehend in our human minds. But you were so precious to God that He sent His Son to die for you and to purchase you. And that price is the blood of Christ. We read of that in Acts 20 and verse 28. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which He hath purchased. There's the price. With His own blood. You are bought with a price. Second thing I want you to notice is back one verse further in verse 19. Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and ye are not your own. Your body is the dwelling place, the temple of the Holy Spirit. One of the three persons of the Trinity dwells inside of you. And everything you do, everywhere you go as a Christian, that Spirit is present with you. And now you think about how tragic, how disgusting, how inappropriate it is when the body is involved in sexual immorality and the Holy Spirit is to be comfortable in that body. You think about how despicable that is. How horrible. You look back into the Old Testament and you see times where they were offering sacrifices like we looked at the other night to an idol while worshiping God. It just absolutely doesn't fit. No more so for a Christian to be involved in sexual immorality. The Holy Spirit, the very person of the Godhead, is dwelling in you. He doesn't like to dwell in a dirty house. Then I want to back up to verse 15. Notice one more thing here in this passage. Know ye not that your bodies are... I have that word underlined in my 
Bible, the members of Christ. Your hands, your feet, your mind, everything about you, every part of you, are the members of Christ. Remember the verses we read the other night in 2 Corinthians 4, at the end of the verse, in verse 10 and 11, it says that the life of Jesus might be manifest in your body. That is the purpose of salvation. He saved you to make you His servant and to make your hands, your feet, your tongue, your ears, all the rest of you, His members. Christ wants to live out His purposes in you. And all three of those, because you're bought with a price, because you're the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit, and because you are the members of Christ, are three powerful, powerful reasons why it's totally inappropriate for us to be engaged in sexual immorality of any kind. So our bodies are the temple of God. Our members are His. We are purchased with the precious blood of Christ. I want us to notice then tonight that God's judgment on sexual sin. And I'm not going to take the time to turn to all these places. But just think in your mind's eye back into the book of Genesis. And think about the story of Sodom. Remember how wicked that city was? Remember the story of what happened when the two angels came to rescue Lot out of that city? The only thought of those men was sexual pleasure. That was the thought. And God had to rescue those men, those angels, and blinded and delivered Lot from there. You remember the story of what did God do with that city? Fire and brimstone fell upon it, right? There's probably several reasons, but one of them certainly is the sexual immorality that existed in Sodom and Gomorrah. I have often wondered how much worse was Sodom than America today. There are lots of places that you couldn't go at night and you would get the same treatment as what happened to those angels there. Story after story we find in the Old Testament. I thought of the Ten Commandments. We looked the other night at what God spoke from the top of Mount Sinai. Do you know that two of those commands dealt specifically with sexual purity? One is, thou shalt not commit adultery. That was one of the words of life, the commands that would bring life to God's people. And the last command as well, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. God was dealing with purity. In the law, when God gave the law to Moses, we read of this in Leviticus 18-20, to some slugging to read through those chapters, and I'm not going to do it tonight. But there is multiple uh, categories of people that were supposed to be stoned if they were caught in these activities. And as it relates to our topic tonight, those guilty of adultery, those guilty of incest, that's sexual relations with family members, those guilty of homosexuality, those guilty of bestiality, physical intimacy with animals, all of them were to be stoned. Now, I don't subscribe to this mentality, but there are those in our world today that believe we're struggling with an overpopulation problem, that we should eliminate some people. Well, how much overpopulation problem would we have if that was still the way things were handled today? How many people would be left 
If everyone guilty of those sexual sins were stoned to death. We read of so many horrific accounts of sexual sin in the Bible from abuse within families to the David and Bathsheba story to Joseph and Potiphar's wife. The stories, you don't, you can't go far in your Bible without encountering this problem. And every time God brings judgment upon it. Now maybe you're saying, well that was in the Old Testament. Well let's look through some scriptures in the New Testament. Let's start in the book of Romans. It's actually astounding when you stop and think of it, how many of these churches, in the short letters that Paul wrote, he specifically addressed this problem of sexual purity. Starting in Romans 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them, for the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse." Now, we spend a lot of time in our day trying to convince people that God exists. You know what the Bible actually says? God is self-evident in creation. That's what it says. And when we don't see God in creation, it is not because we can't see Him. It's because we refuse to see Him. That's what the next verse says. Because that, when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, nor, but became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened. So they refused to see light and darkness enters instead. Professing themselves to be wise, they become fools and change the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man, to birds, four-footed beasts, and creeping things. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own heart to dishonor their own bodies between themselves who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature, and likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet, even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind do, to do those things which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful. Look here, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. In the Old Testament, they were stoned. In the New Testament, they're still worthy of death. There's just a period of time between the sin and the death, a longer period than there was in the Old Testament. Then let's turn over to 1 Corinthians. 
We were in chapter 6. Let's go back there again and look at a few verses earlier in that chapter. Verse 9. Know you not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Don't ever be fooled. Don't let anyone convince you otherwise. No fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. That's a really powerful language. Don't let yourself be tricked. Don't matter how close it comes in our families, don't be deceived. It's not going to happen. There's not going to be adulterers. Those who commit adultery are those who have sexual relations with someone while their married partner is still alive. There's not going to be any of those in heaven. There's not going to be any sexual immoral in heaven. There's not going to be any homosexuals in heaven unless they repent of their sin. It is absolute certain in the scriptures. And it's amazing to me how many people today in Christian circles, and I surely hope none of you are here tonight like this, but try to say that the Bible doesn't actually speak against homosexuality. I don't know what Bible you're reading, but it absolutely does in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Don't be deceived. That is a deception that is plaguing our day. God says clearly in His Word, that these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Galatians chapter 5. Verse 19. The works of the flesh, it says, are manifest or shown, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, those first four all in verse chapter 19, or sorry, verse 19, are all sexual immorality of different forms. Verse 21, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Kingdom of God. Shell is an absolute word. They shall not. Those who do these things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Ephesians chapter 5. After in verse 3 here he says, Fornication, all uncleanness, or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. I wish we could say today that it's never once named among us. Verse 5, For this ye know, that no, that doesn't leave any exceptions, no whoremonger, that means sexual immorality, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Again, let no man deceive you with vain words. For because of these things, the things he just described in the previous verses, cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. And one more scripture in Colossians chapter 3. 
5. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. In each of these scriptures, we have sexual sins and we have the wrath of God coming upon them. And the absolute statement that those sins, those who do those things, will not inherit the kingdom of God. You can be cleansed, you can be forgiven, but you cannot continue doing those things and expect to be in heaven. In fact, when we go into the book of Revelation at the end of chapter 21 and verse 8 and in chapter 22 verse 15, in both of those verses we find whoremongers, which is the broad category of the sexual immoral, on the outside of heaven. They are without, the Bible says. Don't be deceived. It is a very serious sin and it will separate you from God forever. I'd like to just look now at several things here. What happens in sexual sin? We've already read those verses in 1 Corinthians 6, and I'm not going to turn back there. But it talks there about when there is sexual relations, there is a oneness. We see that in marriage, and in it's giving a description of that. It tells us there that this sin specifically is a sin against the body. And I don't know that I can explain to you exactly how that all is, but it's a unique category of sin that violates our body, the temple of the Holy Ghost, in a way that no other sin does. So it's a sin against the body. And I mentioned this earlier, but I would just remind you again that we are called to flee this sin. There is never a call to fight against sexual sin. We are to flee away from it because if we don't flee, we will fall. That's what will happen. Joseph in the Old Testament is a beautiful illustration of this. When Potiphar's wife was trying to seduce him, he fled, even though it meant he fled without a garment and it meant he ended up in prison. If he had not done that, he would have fallen. And I am afraid there are too many people dabbling with this kind of sin, hoping that they're strong enough to overcome it. Doesn't work. Flee is the solution. So this is a sin against our body. There is no other sin so degrading, so defiling, so repulsive. Maybe no other sin so shameful. And that is one of the reasons why it continues to be hidden in so many hearts. I want us also to notice tonight the progression of sexual sin. The Bible warns us that sexual sin begins in the mind. The scripture calls it a heart. In Mark chapter 7, verse 21 to 23, it says, For from within, out of the heart of man, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, lasciviousness it heads in that list. All these evil things, it says, come from within and defile the man. Temptations can come from without. That is true. But there's a problem within when we fall to those temptations. They're inside us. They are part of how we think. And one of the things that happens then in sexual sin is that it begins to express itself and it is progressive in its nature. 
It's like there's this monster within that is looking for new, more dramatic, more extreme, more exciting, more vile, more disgusting. It progresses on and on and on. And it's a, it's like a bottomless pit. You will never satisfy sexual sin. It is just a, a giant monster that keeps sucking you in. Is seeking fulfillment in a way that can never bring fulfillment. There's a reason it's called a perversion. It's corruption. It's illicit. There's no end to it. And that's why you see increased and increasing depravity as man is looking for something new. And it is progressing to beyond ways I don't even want to express over the pulpit here. It's disgusting. But brothers and sisters, tonight it's like drinking salt water. You will never satisfy that thirst. You will never find the end. It is progressive. It's also very addictive. The devil would love to have us believe just sin once. Just this once. Maybe you feel like you're compelled and you need to do something. You're compelled, compelled once, you'll be compelled again. Satan is binding you. I always think of the illustration. I'm sure many of you have done this. At least most of the boys in this room have. Maybe some of the girls. You've caught a fly and you threw it into a spider web or you threw some other bug into a spider's web and you watch what happens. The spider comes darting out, grabs him and begins wrapping. That's what's happening in sexual sin. Wrap and wrap and wrap and wrap and eventually you know what happens? The spider sucks the very juice out of the person. That's what sexual sin does too. Every vitality, every usefulness in the kingdom, everything about you that would be good is being sucked out by the devil. And brothers and sisters, tonight this stuff is so addictive, it's so secretive, that I expect there's probably some in this audience tonight who are caught there. And you've tried and you've tried to overcome it on your own and you haven't done it. You're not going to do it alone. That's why it's so important that you bring it to the light and bring it into the open because you need help. You need Christian brothers or sisters, whatever the case may be, to come alongside you and to hold you accountable and to pray with you and to build a plan of how you are going to overcome. It is an incredibly addictive sin. Fourthly, I want you to also know tonight that there is demonic connection with sexual sin. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 4, verses 17 to 19, that those who are outside of the Christian realm are alienated from the life of God. That's what the phrase says. If we are alienated or separated from the life of God, whose influence are we under? How many influences is there in the world? When the Bible tells us that God gave them up to uncleanness in Romans 1.24, who did He give them up to? Whose influence are they under? We have that kind of phraseology multiple times as it relates to this sin. We are in the devil's hands. That's where we are. And there is much demonic activity, much demonic connection to sexuality and sexual sin. Not to sexuality, to sexual sin. And specifically, there is much of what is perverted and expressed to the public, offered as a commodity, this sexual impurity, 
Much of that has been dedicated to demons and has been empowered by those demons. Again, way outside my realm of expertise, but I know it's nothing to dabble with and nothing to play with, and the influence of it is extremely dangerous. Fifth, I want you to know tonight that it's, there are barriers that are broken down. And there are many scenarios we could point to, but when a man begins to get involved in pornography, he repeatedly looks at pornography, and that becomes a way by which he finds sexual pleasure and sexual enjoyment. Woman becomes an object. That's what happens. His mind is changed the way he thinks about this perfect creation that God made. And instead of looking at her as a glorious soul heading for eternity, it's nothing more than an object, something to be enjoyed. And this is why it continues to push more progressive, more progressive, more progressive, because it's got to be new and novel. Now, this is the problem we face and the barriers that break down. You cannot just men and women, this applies to you in other areas as well, maybe some of you in the same area. You could stop viewing pornography tomorrow, today. It would be a good idea. But if you don't correct the thinking in your mind by the washing of the word, by deliberately retraining your mind in how you think, then you're still going to be missing the barriers that ought to be there. You charged through a whole bunch of them before you engaged in that behavior. And that's why I believe it's such a powerful picture in Psalm 51 when David repents of his sexual sin. Here's some of the things he says. He says, wash me. He says, purge me. He says, make me into your servant. He says, create in me a clean heart. What is he saying? He's saying, God, I broke down these barriers. I chose to believe lies and I've let deception come into my brain. I need you to clean it up and I need to retrain my mind to think again the way it ought to think. So if you've dabbled and wandered off into sexual sin, there's a lot of work to do to get your mind thinking right again. And I would just encourage you to be serious about that. The last thing I want to tell you tonight about what happens in sexual sin is terrible damage to relationships. You see, you can't really look someone in the eye with integrity. You know it's not there in your, inside you. And it destroys relationships. You can't even understand. I've watched this happen over and over again. The person in the sexual sin is so deceived and so twisted in their thinking, they're not even aware of the damage they're doing to the relationships closest to them. You know that trust is an incredibly important part of relationships. And once you destroy that trust, it takes a lot of hard work to rebuild. And you're going to need to choose very deliberately, very carefully, very consistently to be transparent instead of deceptive. And that's going to take a long time. And I am always amazed how some who have fallen deep into sexual sin expect that today they stopped and tomorrow everything is going to be just like it was before. You're living in candy land, my friends. That's not how it works. And that's not what it means to forgive someone either. Uh, too often in our past we have been rather foolish 
in how we have watched someone that is deeply into sexual sin and the next day we just think they're redeemed and repented and everything is wonderful. Hey, they are right with God because they repented. I'm not taking that away at all. But there is a lot of work to do from that place forward. And we need to be sure that we are holding them accountable, that we are walking with them, that we are guiding those who are relating closest with them because there's a lot of work to do. Terrible damage to relationships. I want to look now at what kinds of sins are we talking about. And I'm going to speak very practically, very candidly. I'm going to try to do it carefully. And I don't mean to offend anyone. But I also don't mean to leave you in the dark about what we're talking about. Go with me to Matthew chapter 5. I mentioned earlier that this sin starts in the mind, and Jesus addresses this specifically here. Matthew chapter 5, verse 27. You have heard that it was said of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off, lest it cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. Again, I just notice here the seriousness with which Jesus approaches this area of sin. He's saying it would be better for you to enter heaven blind and without hands than to be in sin. Now, if you have no hands and you're blind, does that cure you of the possibility of sexual immorality? No. So is Jesus telling you that you should cut off your hand literally? No. What he is telling us is that we need to take it very seriously. I'm amazed how often I talk to a young man that is struggling or a young woman with my wife and we they're talking about how they fall into this sin and you know what it almost always comes back to a little piece of the technology that we carry in our pockets and then when you want to start putting boundaries around this piece of technology that the walls go up like i need this thing well what do you want victory or do you need this thing There's a lot of us that would be better off without that piece of technology. If we can't control it, it's controlling you, then get rid of it. We used to live without phones. You don't need to call someone every five minutes or see what they're doing on a status, etc., etc. If you can't control it, cut it off. That's what Jesus is saying. You would be better off to enter heaven without a smartphone than to go to hell with one. And I hope we wake up to that before... We lose everyone. And I'm not opposed to smartphones, but I know they've done an awful lot of damage in our communities. Look at what Jesus is stressing here. What is the thing he's concerned about? He's concerned about lustful thoughts. Looking on a woman to lust after her. That's what he's talking about. Eyes are extremely important to men in this battle for purity. And I've heard many things suggested over the years of how you should 
control your eyes, learn to bounce your eyes. That's a valuable tool. If you see something that is sexual in nature, to look away is helpful. To redirect your mind to something else is helpful. I heard someone describe a three-second rule one time. That doesn't work for me. I can do an awful lot of things in my mind in three seconds, all right? You have to be deliberate about redirecting your thoughts. You cannot entertain those thoughts. You can't... You almost cannot avoid sexual images in our day. That is almost impossible to avoid. But what we do with them is critical. If we, if we take them into our minds and we think on them, we are setting ourselves up for sexual failure. We've actually already failed according to Jesus' teaching here. But we're, we're building up, uh, a mental Rolodex is how I've heard it described. And men, you're sitting here, you know what I'm talking about. That is what that can be very real. So don't put that there. Keep those images out. Keep your mind pure. See women as a person, as a soul in need of salvation. Keep your eyes on their face, in their eyes. Nowhere else. And your mind there too, by the way. The Bible tells us, Paul writing to Timothy, a young pastor, who probably was dealing with his own challenges in purity, he, he told him, treat the elder women as mothers, the younger as sisters with all purity. Why was that important? Because of lustful thoughts. And I wonder how often do we label this man as a struggle rather than a sin. And if we called it what it is, maybe we would do a better job. The second area is also in these verses, and I just want to point it out to you, sisters. It's the area of immodesty. And it tells us here that Jesus says in verse 28, But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery already in his heart. Did you notice I missed two words there? With her, it says. I want to be really clear tonight. That it is completely possible for a man to have lustful thoughts when the woman has been totally pure in the way she conducted herself. That's possible. But shame on us, or shame on you sisters, if there is ever in your life any intent to be sexually desirous to anyone other than your husband. That's sinful. To dress immodestly, to call attention to your figure, that, that is wrong. And if you're, if you think about it, it should be horrifying to you that you might cause your brother in Christ to struggle with purity, one of the most dangerous areas of life for men, by your actions or by your dress. Now, this is not a message on modesty tonight, but tight skirts, when the fabric moves with your body, when you're bending or when you're walking, it's too tight. You need more fabric. Maybe it fit some time ago, but it might not fit anymore, and you need to change your pattern. Tight tops, short skirts, lower large necklines, that can be really dangerous. Most women are naturally shorter than men. And if you have large necklines, when you bend over, do it in front of the mirror if you want to know what you can show. I will just all mention one other thing that has become a trend in modern fashion. At least it was a trend. Maybe it's going away already, but you know what billboards are, right? Put words on a sign. What are they there for? They're there to be seen, right? You see billboard advertisements on billboards. They brag about how they're seen. Now you just think about where 
some of the billboards are today in women's fashion. If you're wearing a sweatshirt with a logo or a label plastered across your chest, what is it there for? Or in in the world, you see it in other places as well. I don't think I need to say any more. But what do you expect men to do with the information that you're giving them? Be careful to dress modestly. It's sexual sin when you don't. Another area I want to address this evening is masturbation. As the act of causing yourself sexual stimulation and sexual pleasure. There are many today again in broad Christianity that defend this as acceptable. And while I understand that many young men and young women, very young in fact, as early as 11, sometimes younger than that, get involved in this sin almost accidentally, not knowing what they're doing. Shame on us parents if that happens. But without, it doesn't matter when you fall into it, it's still sin. Their only place to give and receive sexual pleasure is within marriage, within that marriage bond. And parents, this is why it's so important that you're having conversations, several conversations with your sons and daughters. And I can just tell you, from experience, you're probably waiting till they're too old to have that conversation. Have it young. If you don't have it, someone else is going to have it with them, and they're not going to teach it in the way you would want it to be taught. I'm not here to heap guilt on anyone, but I will tell you that this activity will destroy you. Masturbation is motivated by lust, and it will separate you from God. At best, God will be distant in your experience with him, it would be hard for you to build any kind of meaningful relationship with him. And I just want to say, this is not only men, okay? Again, we are living in a more and more progressive sexual world, and we're being influenced by that. And maybe it was more factually accurate to say 30 years ago that this was largely a male problem, but it's not anymore, If you're having talks with your daughters and all you're talking about is how they dress, you're missing a very, very important part. You need to be serious about this. It's not only men. I mentioned pornography already as another area, a massive, massive area of addiction that is destroying so much. It's available in so many ways today, and this is part of the problem that we face. Years ago, you either had to find someone's magazine or you had to go to a variety store to purchase something, and you ran the risk of being caught. Today, pornography is accessible in so many ways, so many easy ways that can be done in the private of your own home. According to statistics, 63% of Christian men view pornography daily. That's pretty sad. And while I would hope it's not like that in our circles, I'm not foolish enough to believe it doesn't happen. It does. It's a huge industry worldwide, billions and billions of dollars. And it's so terribly addictive and damaging to right thinking and to relationships. You form this world of, of fantasy and, and secrecy. The opposite of what you need in meaningful relationships. 
And again, I will just say that this is not only for men. If you're a woman here tonight and you're caught up in pornography, there's nothing wrong with you other than that you've been caught up in sin. Sexual abuse. One in three girls will be sexually abused by the time they turn 18. Makes me sad, sick to my stomach. And again, I don't know what the statistics are in our circles, but they're not zero. They're a lot closer to one in three than you ever want to admit. When I was a youth, I knew of enough cases in my immediate circles that the numbers were almost one in three. It's most often grandpas and uncles and brothers and dads. I would just say to you tonight, if you've fallen into this sin, then please, I beg of you, get help. Repent. Talk to someone. Bring it out of the darkness. You are destroying precious, innocent victims. And Jesus addresses this in some powerful language in Luke 17 where he says you'd be better off to have a millstone hanged about your neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. And moms, if you're suspicious at all, check it out. Don't live in denial. If your husband or whoever reacts angrily or badly, then there's double reason to be concerned. And I would just encourage you at that point to involve someone in leadership here or some other men that you trust. We can't live in denial. We can't hide from these realities. We need to be vigilant and to be careful. And I would just say as well, again, have conversations with your children very early and often about what is appropriate touch, what is inappropriate touch, what to do if someone touches them inappropriately. If they know that, they're comfortable with that to come and talk to you, it's much more likely that that won't become a long-term experience like has happened too often in our circles. In this area of purity in our day, you cannot be overprotective. Again, I mentioned this already, but it's usually someone close. Sleepovers are a very common environment. Just be thoughtful, be careful. Are you certain you trust that environment? And if you don't, then maybe you'd be better off just protecting your children. There's many more things we could talk about. Fornication is one I've mentioned multiple times already this evening. Sexual relations between unmarried people. If you're in a dating relationship, is it pure? If you're giving or receiving sexual stimulation, it's not pure, and you need to be fleeing, and you need to be getting someone to hold you accountable. God designed that perfectly and purely, but he designed it progressively, and you start dabbling down that road, you're going to be in a bad place really quickly. Adultery, married people having relations with someone that is not their partner. Prostitution, many ways that happens today. Intimacy with beasts, using an animal for sexual pleasure. Homosexual desires and relationships. And as our world becomes more and more perverse, these desires are also coming into our circles.
And again, I'm just saying to you tonight, if that's you, I'm not judging you, I'm not critical of you, I'm just begging with you to get out of it while you can. To flee, to flee sexual sin. Any sexual pleasure given to or received from any person other than my marriage partner, including myself, is sin and separates me from that holy God we saw in the very beginning. I'd like to take you to one more scripture in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. First Thessalonians 4 verse 1. Furthermore then, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as you have received of us how you ought to walk and to please God, so you would abound more and more. For ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God. There's a lot of fuss today about understanding the will of God. Well, this is it, okay? The will of God is your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication, that all sexual sin would be put away from you, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel, that's his body, in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concubiscence, not in lustful desires, even as the Gentiles which know not God that no man go beyond and defraud his brother. Don't take anything that isn't yours, that's what he's saying, in any matter, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you and testified, for God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. Brothers and sisters, tonight is an uncomfortable subject but it's a pertinent subject. And where are you at tonight? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I come into your presence this evening. And Lord, I just pray for your Spirit's conviction to move among these pews. Don't let anyone deceive themselves this evening. Help them to see themselves as you see them. That you love them. That you're calling them to yourself. But that the sexual sin they continue to struggle with is separating them from you. Lord, if there's those here tonight that have tried and tried and failed and failed, just speak to their hearts. Draw them to you. Help them to put away their pride And to ignore the shame and simply to claim the victory that you can give. The cleansing that can come through the blood of Christ. And the power that comes when we bring sin to you and to the light. Just invite your spirit here. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I know tonight that These kinds of sin bring a lot of shame. And that's one of the things the devil uses to continue to keep you trapped. And I would just plead with you tonight, if you're caught up in one of these areas, you know it. But you can be free. 
The only thing holding you back is your own stubborn will. I'm going to just ask that we sing a song again tonight, a verse of song. I'm going to ask you all to bow your heads while you sing. And if God's speaking to you that you know you need help in one of these areas, I would just ask you to stand to your feet, make your way to the aisle, make your way to the back, and someone will come and meet with you. Maybe you can go downstairs to the basement or in the room behind here. You don't have to take that home with you tonight. There is a possibility for victory if you will simply choose it. Let's bow our heads to sing. Just as you to stand with me. Let's close with a prayer. Heavenly Father, we come again into your presence. And I pray that your spirit would continue to guide us and speak to us. Lord, help us to build appropriate boundaries to protect ourselves from this area of sin. And I pray that if there are any here this evening who have something going on in their life, maybe they're a victim, maybe they are causing someone pain, maybe they're deliberately choosing sin, just give them the courage to speak to someone and to bring that to the light where your spirit can guide them. Father, we ask for your spirit to go with us as we part. And Lord, if there's been anything said this evening that was inappropriate, I pray that you would just take that away from each person's mind. You would help us to walk in purity. And we ask that you bring us back together again tomorrow as we continue to worship you together. In Jesus' name, amen.